Welcome to A Higher Branch, a source of practical and powerful information for busy people dedicated to boosting their personal health and professional performance. I'm your host, Sam McCall. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of A Higher Branch, where I am joined by Fabiana Fontvilla, who is a writer, speaker, ritual maker, and most importantly, a teacher. Now, she's from Buenos Aires, Argentina, and I'm completely fascinated to bring you this conversation because I often get glimpses into my youth. And when I say glimpses, I don't mean memories, abstract feelings where I reconnect with that sense of wonder that I felt as a child growing up in a little village at the base of Mount Lebanon, where I could be sitting underneath a fig tree or helping my grandmother pick some olives and help her bake bread in the morning or milk the goats. And I often get these deja vu or flashbacks of those feelings. And I ask myself, on the road to becoming an adult, how did I ever lose that sense of wonder with a world where I could just sit and look at a blade of grass or a ladybug for minutes without breaking concentration? So Fabiana helps individuals like you and I to reconnect with that sense of wonder and enthusiasm while exploring the joy and challenge of offering our gifts to the world because we all want to you know make an impact in this world but we can't lose ourselves on the way to making an impact and i think when we are children filled with that sense of wonder we are in a default state of happiness we are in a default state of fearlessness but as we grow older, we reverse and we become into a default state of unhappiness and fear and worry where we start to need things to make us happy. We need to start buying shoes or eating chocolate or hop on the hedonic treadmill, get that promotion, go on that date to make us feel happy. And we need to reverse that. Now, Fabiana is the author of children's books and a publication called Where Wonder Lives. A beautiful journey by an imaginary map made up of nine stations, which acts as a doorway into the sacred. And we're going to be talking about that. She also runs seminars about nature exploration, dream work, consciousness, archetypal psychology, social work, and essential emotions such as awe, gratitude, and I love this, enchantment. She has spoken alongside figures of international renown, such as Matteo Ricard and brother David Steindl Rast. She also runs workshops and for over a decade, she has led uh, year-long courses, both online and face-to-face. And I can't wait for COVID to be over because I'd love to do your workshops, uh, Fiabiana. On that note, welcome to A Higher Branch. Thank you so much, Sam. That was so generous of you. That was a beautiful introduction. Thank you. I'm very happy to be talking to you. Yes, absolutely. And in preparation for this conversation, I watched a few of your um, YouTube videos. And I know there's only one in English, and that's the one that I listened to. And it was about your book. But even before I found that, I was listening to your ones in Spanish, which is your original dialect. And even though I don't understand Spanish, I was completely captivated by your sense of wonder. And I want this pot to be something where people will finish it and feel like they have a roadmap to reconnecting with that sense of wonder in their youth. But before we do so, I want to ask you, how did you embark on this fascinating journey when 
everyone in the world is embarking on corporate careers and saving the planet? That's a good question. I had my time of getting absorbed in the world. The world is still my place of play and fun, but I was a journalist for many years and I, I did cover international politics for, for a long time. I covered wars even, and, and I was very much in the nitty gritty of everyday international affairs. But eventually, I think really when it all began to turn around again and go back to my origin is when I had my children, when my children were very little, were very young, and I immediately through them, as so often happens, reconnected to my own lost or, or forgotten sense of wonder just by going out on walks for, with them and, and looking for magic underneath every leaf and the bedtime stories and flickering candles at night before they would go to bed. And they went to a Waldorf school, which is very encouraging. I don't know if you know about Waldorf schools, but they do really stress the importance of wonder and enchantment. So that was my doorway back into my very wonder-filled childhood. And as to your question before, I, I do think school has a lot to do with slowly chiseling out this very natural and spontaneous sense of wonder because we, we are all put into this system where we have to perform and we have to compete against each other. And, and there's all this encyclopedic learning and so much of what where wonder happens is outside, as you mentioned, underneath your fig tree or, or picking fruits. So when that is not available and we have to sit still for a certain amount of hours and then just remember and, and answer as we were as we we're supposed to, then naturally that kind of spontaneous enchantment with the world and from the world tends to get lost along the way. So what happens is we begin life by being very open and very alive with wonder, and then it is slowly pummeled out of us. And then we have to reconquer it and relearn it as we go into adults. And the same as happens, I know you are familiar with the corporate world, you know how often they have to give people in, in corporations creativity classes and workshops, and nobody needs to teach a child creativity, but we do have to relearn that as well when we are older. So there is that process of going through the world getting very serious about moving ahead and having a home and having a partner, children, if that's what you want. And then eventually when all those assignments that we need, we have to live up to, when all that is checked off our list, sometimes we begin to make our way back to what is mo most essential and authentic in us, which is love of the world. Because I don't know any children that don't have a love of the world unless they were kept in an apartment and never allowed to go outside and have contact with the natural world. Otherwise, starry nights and sunsets and tall high trees and birds and bees, all of it is just so fascinating to us as children. And then hopefully to us as adults, again, if we can return to that fresh, wide-eyed and very intense intimacy with the world. But there is something that we need to engage in ourselves as adults, because the difference between childlike wonder and adult wonder is that the kind of wonder that we feel as children does have to do with the fact that everything is new and we're seeing it all for the first time. There's an element of just being fascinated with everything that happens that, that we are seeing for the first time. When we're adults, eventually fewer and fewer things are new to us and our relationships become something that we're familiar with and our jobs. And there is this tendency to just grow used to things and to stop admiring them and wondering about them and being mystified by them. So the kind of wonder that we need to cultivate in adulthood is voluntary. That's the big difference. It's conscious. It's intentional. We need to want to remember to look at the stars and look at the skies and the clouds and just delight in the world and in each other.
It doesn't always happen spontaneously. Sometimes it does. And in fact, we can talk a little bit about wonder as an emotion because we know things now about this emotion that we didn't know five years ago. It's been very recently researched. So wonder and awe, which are very close relatives, the only difference between them is that both of them have to do with being faced with something so vast in size and number and quality that it forces us to rethink. It's something that for example, I was saying before, if you're looking at a starry sky, infinity before you, that is something that your mind just can't comprehend. You can't say, oh, that's the sky. It's, it's too much. So the feeling of awe and wonder has to do with being in the face of something that is mysterious. Whereas wonder is purely positive. There's only positive emotions associated with it. Awe can have a sense of dread, for example, dread or fear or, yeah, even angst. For example, a, a very heavy thunderstorm or electric tsunami, an earthquake, a plane crash, a Nazi rally. Those things are very awe-inspiring because they're huge and they're incomprehensible, but they also have a, an element of fear. So that's the difference between awe and wonder. But both of them have to do with being faced with mystery, with something that we can't quite grasp. And this is the interesting part because emotions have an effect. And this one in particular has a very transformative effect. I say that it's one of the most spiritual emotions because of what it does to us. After you've had a moment of awe or wonder, let's first look at the physical reaction. Try to put yourself in front of those trees from your childhood or even a very tall tree that you're looking at from beneath. What happens to your breath? You just stumble upon this huge tree filled with fruit and filled with branches and birds on it. So what happens to your breath? You take a breath in and sometimes you hold it for a moment. So in that moment, something happens to your sense of time. What do you think happens to your sense of time? Are you thinking about what you have to do next week or what happened yesterday? No, you're basically completely present. You are at one with what is happening, right? So what this does to you is on the one hand, you are present, which is what meditation and mindfulness try to have us do. This spontaneously produces that effect of, of being present. And the other thing that happens is if you look at that tall tree or waterfall or sky, do you feel big or small in relation to what you're seeing? You feel tiny, but at the same time, you feel tiny, but you feel connected. You don't feel tiny and disconnected. You feel like part of that wonder you're seeing. So this combination of being present and being humbled by something that is so big, especially in awe, more, even more than in wonder, that is just incomprehensible and, and awe-inspiring, what it does is it produces the effect that you are a part of this ocean, you're a part of this mystery. The feeling is whatever created this vastness, this infinity around us created us as well. So there's a, a feeling of being humbled, but also of belonging. So now going back to what I was saying about the effects of awe, what it does is it makes us more pro-social, it makes us more um, likely to help others, and it reminds us that we are part of something larger, we are part of nature, we are connected to that enormous tree or the sky. So just as you're connected to nature, you're connected to each other, we're, suddenly we're thrown back into belonging, that's what awe does. So we are much more likely to help. So how strange this is, such a spontaneous emotion that takes perhaps only minutes, and it brings us into this completely other state of mind, state of consciousness. So one of the things that I try to get across in my book is that we don't need to wait for spontaneous moments of all, which do happen to us, hopefully often, we can seek it out. We can cultivate different forms of awe. And I think we, we need to, because it really helps to bring us home to ourselves and to each other. This is one of those life-enhancing emotions. Absolutely. You're touching on elements of 
our framework at a higher branch. So Mm -hmm. what you're talking about is that as adults, yes, it is difficult for us to reconnect with wonder spontaneously because we have so much going on and it's unrealistic to expect people just to give up everything in their life and go live in a forest. So we need to be consciously aware of the steps it takes to reconnect with that sense of wonder. So I love that. Listening to you, that wonder is an essential element before we can reconnect with ourselves or with that sacred self. Yes, exactly. Because wonder really should be present basically in every moment of our lives if we don't take our lives for granted. Every moment is a gift and every moment is a mystery. We don't know what is going to happen. We think we can control things, but as 2020 made so clear, we we don't. We, We hardly control anything. So when you understand and accept that life brings uncertainty, but with uncertainty, it brings opportunities and you can get curious about that then wonder spontaneously arises. And wonder really is the beginning of so many of our disciplines. It's the beginning of philosophy and science and religion. All of them started with the question, why? Why are we here? What is life about? What is it to be a good person? What am I supposed to do? What is my destiny? What is my purpose? All those are wonder questions. So it's a very basic emotion. As soon as you are conscious that you're living a life, you begin to wonder about it naturally. And if you don't, there's something wrong because... That is the spontaneous reaction to just the the fact of being an aware, sentient being with with the kind of sophisticated awareness that humans have. Some have argued that even animals have, some non-human animals have some sorts of wonder. They've seen apes staring at sunsets and whatnot. So perhaps it's not even a specifically, a strictly emotion, human emotion, but it is a very basic one, an essential one, because it's essential in two ways, in two levels. One is, as I was saying, because... It reminds us that life is a mystery all the time. And it's essential because it puts us back in touch with our own mysterious essence. It reminds us to not take ourselves for granted and say, I'm just Fabiana and I'm a journalist and I have two kids. No, I don't know who I am deep down. I don't know who I'll be tomorrow. I don't know what things will happen to me and how I'll react to them. I don't know what I'm gonna come across when I walk out into the street. So that sense of mystery keeps us alive it keeps us young but I think we do need to consciously cultivate it to not hope that it will appear out of nowhere because what happens when you don't is sometimes people have very very limited contact with all maybe during their vacations or if they're lucky during their weekends when they go out into nature or or, or when they go see a play or to a museum or and, and the rest of the time is like same old no wonder no no awe and that's a very impoverished life So one thing I'd like to say is we don't need to be on vacation. We don't need to be staring at the ocean. It's wonderful if we can, but we can get a sense of awe in a park, just watching children play or or staring at dogs, going to fetch a, a stick or a branch, or even clouds and the sky, which is one of the first chapters in my book. The book is just to briefly mention, it's a, an imaginary map of nine stations, each of which is a doorway into awe and wonder. So the first one is called the jungle, and it's all about reconnecting with our inner and outer wildness, with nature in all its forms. And I basically go through three avenues into reconnecting with nature, which have been powerful for me. Of course, there's many more. One is the plant world, the green nation, as Native Americans call it. One is 
birds through reconnecting with bird, the birds that live around you. And the other is clouds, the sky, the geography of the sky, which is a very democratic way of accessing awe because it's available for, every, for anyone wherever they are at all times. So that's just nature, the nature path. And there's all these other eight paths. But all of them need our conscious participation, our delight in exploring it. Otherwise, you can be in a park and be thinking about your next meeting and nothing will happen. You have to want for that to happen. You have to want to reconnect to that dimension of life. Before we uh, started this conversation, I, I went for a thinking walk. And there's a park near my place overlooking Sydney Harbour called Mikkel Park. And after I listened to your YouTube video, I made a conscious effort to notice all that nature, the beauty and the intelligence of nature. I saw some wild berries on a lily pilly tree and I went and I just grasped it and looked at the colour. And as I was doing so, I noticed that there was a spider's web that was right next to me. One string was connected to this incredible design up here and it was held together by one string that connected to the ground. And I said, oh, lucky I did not ruin this beautiful stone. I wanted to actually live and breathe what you're talking about. And can I tell you, at first it brought up a bit of sadness that I had been missing this and that we miss this daily. And I was also sad thinking, what else? did I miss out on this morning whilst my kids were getting ready to go to school or when my wife connected with me, was I being present? Was I being conscious? Like you said, wonder is all around us in all the eight areas of life if we pay attention. So I was completely in that moment, so happy and so filled with excitement. And at the same time, sad that we miss this daily. And I was also grateful that I stumbled upon your work and really grateful for your presence on this earth to, to be spreading this message because I feel like wonder is, is an essential part of really loving ourselves and being happy with our place in this world. And it also made me have this sense of I am enough, I have enough, I do enough, rather than feeling like I'm not enough. I got to keep doing more and more. So for the first time, I'm having this conversation almost not like an interviewer, but like a, a disciple, if you like. <laughs> and I'm completely intrigued with your workshops. But let's talk about then, how do you cultivate nature? You talk about the eight stations, is it? Nine. The first is the jungle. So that's about nature reconnection. The second is called the garden. And that's about rekindling the life of the senses to, to become more embodied in our everyday experiences, to reconnect with our senses. Then the, I'm not going to say it in any particular order, but then there's one called the village, which is about our bonds, deepening our relationships. That's a huge one. That's a really important one. One is called the mountaintop. I think it's in English. And that has to do with learning to see our lives with perspective. And that's the mythic point of view. Yes. For people who are interested, it's got to do with a, a bird's eye view of life. And that's where archetypes come in and that whole exploration. Then we have the fire, which is about ritual and ceremony, which is something I, I'm very familiar with and I really enjoy. And the swamp, which has to do with our shadow, was the psychological concept of the shadow, the areas of our psyche that we are not familiar with, that we can't accept as, as our own. And when we can, there's all this energy that returns to us. So that's another important one. And then we have the river, which is the imagination, recultivating and re-inhabiting 
our, our childhood imagination, again, another part of us that tends to get forgotten in childhood. The lighthouse has to do with quieting our minds, all kinds of contemplative practices to help us step out of the bustle of our monkey minds, as the Buddhists like to say. And then there is the ocean. I think I mentioned them all. The ocean, which is the last station, and to me the most important, is the heart, is the emotions and the heart as our emotional, spiritual, and physical center, where everything comes home, as in the rivers drain their waters into the ocean. Well, this, in the same way, our emotions all want to take us back into our belonging, which is basically what happens in the heart. So there's different, what I like to call essential emotions, which are the transpersonal emotions, the transcendent emotions, what distinguishes them from other emotions. And I'll just mention a few of them, wonder and awe, of course, compassion, gratitude, forgiveness, generosity. And there's a few more that I've detected. These emotions immediately take us out of our small self and connect us to others. You can't feel wonder and be concerned about your little day-to-day affairs. You immediately feel connected to the outside world, whether it's nature or other people. And the same with compassion or forgiveness. It takes you outside yourself. So these emotions are, are different. All emotions are important. I teach a lot about emotions and even difficult emotions, such as anger and fear and sadness and shame, are all important and intelligent in their own way. They have a role to play. I'm not sure the expression is meant to be, but they seem to be short-term emotions. They're very good and very important as long as you receive their message and then move on. But if you live in fear or sadness or anger, then that becomes very unhealthy very quickly. So positive emotions, on the other hand, are nourishing emotions. And within the sphere of positive emotions, there is this subset, this group that I like to call essential, because they have a very specific quality. For example, Pride is a positive emotion. Of course, it's good to feel pride and to feel accomplishment, but that in itself does not connect you to anybody else but your own sense of ego, which is fine. It's there for a reason. But compare or contrast pride with wonder or with compassion or with forgiveness, and it's a completely different experience. One is about yourself and how you're doing in the world. And as I say, it's an important dimension of life. But eventually, you need to transcend that particular viewpoint, that very limited and limiting viewpoint, and inhabit your wider, deeper self. And these emotions, to me, are the pathways to inhabiting your being, as you were saying earlier, your sense of being. Not what you do, but who you are. Compassion has to do with who you are. Forgiveness, generosity, gratitude has to do with who you are. We are, all of us. So that's why the book ends with that exploring that last station, because I I do think that's where it all comes together. Is is our purpose ultimately then to return to our inner essence? Is that our whole purpose, is to refine ourselves? I wouldn't say to return, because I do think that there's a path in life which has, has to do with embodying that deeper self and higher levels as you go along. It's not returning to the way we embodied it in childhood. This is a much more sophisticated way of embodying it. As I was saying with wonder, and the same is true for compassion and forgiveness and gratitude, a little child can be forgiving, or, well, forgiveness is a difficult one for children, but they can be generous, they can be loving. But of course, they're children that they can be, I don't know, generous in one moment and the next moment they're going to be fighting over some toy because that's just what children will do. And it's perfectly fine that way. But as we grow older, we have the possibility and we don't all go this way. But again, I don't like to use the language of design, but I do feel that there seems to be a path that is carved out for us to follow. And that path is a path of evolution. So when you embody compassion as an adult or forgiveness or generosity, 
you're called to do something more. It's not just, okay, I'll be compassionate with you because I like you, but everybody else, I don't care. It's not about that. It's about embodying higher and higher levels of all of these essential emotions. So it's growing into your own soul. And it's not so much returning because I guess you could say that we come from the ground of being. So in a way, we were all a part of this wholesomeness. But as we begin our our journey through life, the challenge is to be dual because we do have bodies and relationships and, and, and emotions. How can we live with a foot in both worlds? How can we be individuals because we are and at the same time be more and more connected? It's a little bit like looking at trees. I know you're a tree lover like I am. If you look at trees in a forest and you look at them from the the ground up, they're individual trees. That is a pine tree and that is a linden tree. But if you look beneath the soil, the ground, you will see that they're all connected and it's really basically just one organism underneath. And it's very much the same, metaphorically speaking, with us. We are two different people. In fact, we are just meeting today. We don't know each other, but we're already feeling so comfortable with each other because we are connecting with our essence and our essence is the same. I I stand apart from a lot of spiritual trends. There's some sort of new age trends that are so in a hurry to transcend everything that it's as if we need to go beyond our bodies and our emotions. And I personally don't feel that way. I think we were here to be human beings with bodies and emotions and sexuality and relationships and likes and dislikes. So I'm I'm more in touch with the soul journey. The soul journey is a journey into our own individuality and to being more and more ourselves while at the same time being more and more connected because at the soul level, we are individuals, but we're connected to the whole. I'm sorry, you got a little bit com- complex there, but maybe- Not maybe... at all, not at all. It's absolutely beautiful. Keep going. Great, great. So anyway, these paths are all paths of reconnection with different aspects of our essence. So for example, the fire, as I was mentioning, ceremony and ritual, why would we bother about rituals and the technological age when we're all busy going to meetings. But what rituals do, if I can explain it in the simplest terms possible, is they make visible what is invisible. So all these emotions that we're talking about, such as love and forgiveness and compassion, it's all very abstract. You know, where is it? Where do you see? Where do you find it? And imagination and the transcendent, all of these dimensions of life that are the most essential are the most difficult to grasp in a way because it's not a table or a chair or or a cell phone. So what rituals do in a way is they make space for these difficult to grasp emotions in the physical world, in our physical reality. They make time and they make space and say, okay, this, what is happening now is important. This is essential. This is sacred. And of course, that varies from person to person. What each of us decides is is sacred for you. For one person, it might be their friendships. So what they will do if they want to have a rich spiritual and, and ritual life is they will carve time for those friendships and make something special out of those meetings. They won't be looking at their phones when they're having dinner with their friends. They'll, they'll maybe make a toast and say some special words and reconnect with some special gesture. There's so many rituals that we are already doing and we don't even know their rituals. I gave a a workshop on rituals recently. And the first thing we did was look at the rituals that we're already inhabiting. For example, I remember Joseph Campbell, who's an author I I deeply admire and talk about in the book. He was a mythologist, a, a, a a specialist on myth and archetypes. And somebody asked him once, I want to have a ritual life, but I don't know where to begin. And Campbell said, what is important to you? What is the most important thing in your life? And this man said, having dinner with my friends. And he said, 
that's your ritual. That's the one you need to work on. Make your dinners with your friends sacred, something that cannot be questioned or sullied or ignored. That has to be, that is something that has to be put on a little pedestal, so to speak. That's what a ritual is. It's the embodiment of something sacred and mostly intangible with some embodied gesture or symbol. And of course, we could speak hours about how to go about creating your own rituals, but I do, I'm a big believer and an ardent fan of ritual creativity. So if, if you belong to a religion or a wisdom tradition and you have inherited rituals that are meaningful to you, that's wonderful. That's very lucky because when they're time-honored rituals that have yeah. been done the same way for generations, there's a sus substance to that. There's a, a weightiness, which is wonderful. But if you don't have that ritual past or the ones you've inherited don't really speak to your soul and they don't do anything for you, then you need to create your own. And it's perfectly valid to be creative and, and just come up with your own rituals and ceremonies. And they don't need to be elaborate to work. In fact, the simpler, usually the better. So every one of the chapters is filled with practices for diving into that dimension. Where wonder lives, practices for cultivating the sacred in everyday life or in your daily life. And Where, how do we buy the book? <laughs> oh, you buy it on Amazon. Now it's available. It just came out a couple of weeks ago. And if anybody finds it and likes it, I'll be super grateful if they can leave a review because apparently that's important when a book just comes out. So that would be awesome if, if you could do that. I'll be the first. Thank you so much, Sam. I'm, I'm very happy. And I'll be teaching workshops on this because this is my life's passion. So if anybody is interested, my name is Fabiana and that's F-A-B-I-A-N-A, F-A-B-I-A-N-A. -A. And my last name, Fondevila, is F-O-N-D-E-V-I-L-A, F-O-N-D-E-V-I-L-A. So you find me by putting those two words together, fabianafondevila.com. And I should find some other title for my website. But anyway, so far it's my name uh, slash English. And there's some articles and poems and, and information about my workshops. I will also put the link in the description. Most of our life education students are in the corporate world. We have just over 57,000 people in the corporate world who subscribe to our weekly email so they're typically lawyers, bankers. I mean, now it's expanded to their spouses, their family members. So we started off as an academy for people in the corporate world who are neglecting themselves, their health, their, not just their physical health, but their mental, emotional, and spiritual. Every year we produce an event in January called Upgrade Your Life. If you have a look at it, we had to cancel it for 2021 because a lot of our speakers come from England or America and they couldn't. And I didn't want to hold this online. I think there is a, a beautiful energy transference when you're in the same room with people. But we are holding it in January 2022. So it's a two-day event. Our community will soon be receiving information on this. It's an intimate event of only 400 people. We don't like to do big events and we invite 10 speakers from all over the world to cover one of the elements of the eight areas of life or the circle of conscious living. And so I would like to formally invite you to speak at this event. Oh, wonderful. That's next so nice of you. Thank you. Uh, and because you're talking and I'm just like having these wow moments and I'm visualizing, uh, my mind's going here, there and everywhere and I'm visualizing you on stage. And I think this is a topic that our community needs to hear. 
It's one that will reconnect them with their essence. We've had speakers on gut health and mental resilience and couples therapists, and they're all incredible thought leaders. We've got a meditation coach, but I think you've carved a niche here that I'm completely fascinated with and excited to embark on that journey myself. And I'll be reading your book and doing your workshops And hopefully if things go well in the world and we are lucky enough for you to come and talk at Upgrade Your Life, I'll be able to see you in person and perhaps even hold a workshop after the event here whilst you're in Sydney and take the opportunity because I I absolutely love this message of cultivating our wonder and also what you call rewilding ourselves. Before we wrap it up, I, I do want to ask you, for people that are listening what can we do on a daily basis to cultivate that wonder that you're talking about? And is cultivating wonder, is that the same thing as rewilding ourselves or is that two different concepts? Not exactly because rewilding is one way of cultivating wonder. There are many others. Rewilding to me has to do with, in a way is connected, but I don't think it's exactly the same because rewilding has to do with the inner wildness and the inner wildness is is our animal nature. We are animals and we forget. We, we are, get so stuck in our heads that we forget we have bodies and our bodies are alive and they're soaking up the sun and the wind. And so rewilding has to do with reinserting ourselves in nature on the one hand, but also getting in back in touch. Remember that we too are animals, we too are nature. So that's a big part of it. But wonder is bigger than that because it's not just about nature. It's also about relationships with other people and about the mystery. So it's, it's a bigger concept. And as far as the rituals go, there's just so many and there's so many in the books, but I'm, I'm just going to choose one, which is, I don't know if, if anybody is partaking in a, a very frequent gratitude practice, which is a gratitude journal, which is writing down three things you're grateful for every night, which is a pretty well-known ritual. I think they could add one question at the end of the day, which is what surprised me today? What caused awe or wonder? What am I left wondering about? This is a question, I'm I'm very big on questions because when you ask yourself, it's a path of self-inquiry. When you ask yourself questions that open, they tend to wake you up. You pay attention to something different as you did today in your walk, as you were saying. So if you're saying, what is up there? Why am I looking down at the street when so much is going on above the tree line or, or in the tree branches? So one question is just, how am I going to allow myself to be surprised today? And at the end of the day, you can say, what surprised me? What did I learn? What made me curious? Those kinds of questions. And then in a more embodied ritual that I like and that I did for a long time, is you just take a bowl, just any ordinary bowl that you have. And in the morning, you fill it with water and you can embellish it in any way. You can say a mantra or a prayer or just do the physical act of filling your bowl and putting it. If you have an altar, you put it in your altar or you put it on a windowsill. And by doing that, you embody receiving whatever the world wants to bring to your doorstep, to your life today. And at the end of the day, if you have a piece of land, of earth, or even a a pot, you throw out that water in in a reverential, in in a ritual fashion by saying thanks. And you give back that water and you accept whatever the day brought you as an offering because it is all grace. It is all an offering, even the difficult situations that we undergo. So what you do is when you go back to bed, you look at your empty bowl. And you know that I said rituals are about symbols. It's a symbolic language. It's not a material language. It's about making symbols mean. And they're supposed to speak to your soul. It's not something you have to think about or explain to anybody. Even if I didn't explain anything, I just said, fill a bowl with water in the morning, then empty empty it out at night and just 
put it near you, even if I didn't explain anything, it's probably already speaking to your soul, what this means. It's a very eloquent gesture. So I go to sleep and my bowl is empty now. And then tomorrow it will be filled again. So it, it doesn't have to be overtly about wonder, just very small ways of reconnecting to life, I would say, is a way of inhabiting wonder every day. It doesn't have to have the word wonder in it. It's just being as alive as you can bear to be every day. Beautiful. Some of the other things that I love to do, and I don't do them enough, it's not a daily ritual, but one of those is I always go for a walk in nature, but usually I try and get nature to draw me in rather than me consciously connecting with nature. And that is a takeaway from my conversation with yourself. The other one is you mentioned fire as one of the, the stations. Now, mm -hmm. there is something, I, I don't want to say spiritual, but in our farm, we have a few acres and we have a fire pit. And sometimes mm -hmm. we just light the fire and we sit around it. And there's something about that completely reduces my breathing. I get relaxed. Mm -hmm. We usually do this at night. And it connects me with all the people around me. So suddenly there is intimacy there and belonging. Absolutely. Uh, what do you know about that? That is rewilding at its best. Because as I said, when you're all staring at the fire and feeling its warmth, you're being bodies. Your bodies are, are connecting to something in the external world that feels pleasant and that feels alive and that is essential and basic. It's not a screen. It's something real and something that connects us to our roots, to our ancestral roots, because our very far forefathers and ancestors discovered how to light their own fires and this changed history. It made us who we are today. So it is very ancient uh, symbolism. And at the same time, it's completely embodied. So it's simple, it's there. You're feeling the warmth, you're listening to the crackling of the fire. And at the same time, again, I'm going back and forth between the, the physical and the symbolic. Fire is a very ancient symbol for the spirit. So because it's constantly alive and it's transforming and it's anything that you throw into the fire comes out transformed like the phoenix. So it's got many layers of meaning and it always speaks to us fire. And of course, it's also the contrast between the darkness and the light. You're there and the enveloped in darkness, but at the same time, you're all staring at central light. So there's an element of hope and reconnecting with, you know, whatever the darkness is outside, we are still able to connect with the light, to even build the light. That's the name of my workshop that is, as, as I mentioned before, I like to give yearly workshops so that I can really delve into subjects. This year's is called Be the Light, Birthing the New World Together. That's the name of the workshop. And, and the symbol is actually a, a lighthouse, as you said before. Uh, perhaps we can also do a future conversation on just rewilding ourselves and you can give us an insight into what happens at those workshops. And where are the workshops held? I, I assume it's in Argentina. Yes, they were. But actually, since 2020, everything's gone online. I haven't really returned to the in-person workshops yet. I don't know if we'll be able to this year, but I'm, I'm hoping. But it, it, funnily enough, it does work online. It was a big question mark for me, what was going to happen. I have a lot of people getting together from different parts of the world and something of the human transcends any media. So the magic happens anyway. So if you'd like to, I'd very much like to invite you to one of the, the online workshops just to see what you come away with and what it sparks in you. I'm looking for the exact date, but it's going to be in, in the end of March, probably March 27th. 
on a Saturday. And then if you subscribe, I will be getting every two weeks my information about the latest workshops and some articles and just videos, whatever I have to share, it goes through that medium. So it'll, it'll be lovely if whoever is listening and wants to join that mailing, I would love to connect with you, all of you. I don't have too many listeners or students in Australia yet, but I'm going to love having them. And I haven't been to Australia, but I've been to New Zealand and I love the nature in that part of the world. So it's going to be very, really nice to reconnect. Well, our community is going to love you. And as I said, they will see you in person. And I'd love to see you up on stage at Upgrade Your Life next year. And you could do a workshop here in uh, Sydney. We have so many beautiful areas. There's the Blue Mountains, which is a favorite of mine, which inspires a reconnection with nature. And thank you so much, Fabiana. I'm going to collect my thoughts and invite you back to go deeper in some of these uh, topics. You've got me thinking so much. And as I said, you have now a disciple for life. I'm. Uh, <laughs> That is so sweet. It's been really lovely talking to you. And of course, we can delve into any of the stations. There's some that we hardly mentioned, so there's lots to cover. And I'll be very happy to meet with you again. I really enjoyed this. Wonderful. Thank you very much. And for the rest of our community, thank you for listening. And until next time, my friends, as always, live consciously.